Go for the pulls and the pools. Go for the ooze and the ahs. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to the Philly Sports Power Hour with Bill Calarulo on this Wednesday, clean-out day for the Philadelphia Eagles. Not a lot of us expected that clean-out day would be this soon for this Eagles team, but they'll be down there cleaning out their lockers today, doing their exit interviews with the coaching staff. I don't think you're going to hear from Jeffrey Lurie today. I'm not even sure Nick Sirianni will meet with Jeffrey Lurie today. He's going to do his exit interviews, but we'll keep following those updates and those things on Twitter to see what happens. But I wouldn't expect any news today. But welcome into the Philly Sports Power Hour. We're going to talk some Eagles today. We're also going to be joined like we are every Wednesday by Kayla Santiago, who does a great job covering the 76ers, who had a big win last night over the defending champ Denver Nuggets. So we'll talk a little Sixers today. So go ahead, hit that like button for me. We are live on the Jacob Sports Network on YouTube. We are also live on TikTok. Let's get a little roll call. I saw some of you guys. I had a cover Birds 365 this morning. Jody Mack wasn't there, so it was me and Johnny Mack for two hours talking Eagles. Saw some of you guys there. Good to see you here as well. So we got Joe Biden in the house, Ringo Island, Twiz, Jimmy Wen. Steve Patton, Flyers, baby. That is right. Wine, Niners, wine. Flyers don't suck. Love our fly guys. They're on a tear again, which is great. 67% chance of making the playoffs. That's my dream. The Eagles let us down. My dream is for playoff hockey back in South Philadelphia this season. Love playoff hockey. We got the real RMP in the house. Mike Fittery. John, Nafiz, Crawley, Decoy Gaming, M. Reyes, Ringo Island, Jason A-Team, Jimmy Wen, Marcus Craig. Apologize if I miss some of you guys. And I see people joining on TikTok as well. So we're going to talk about the Sixers. Big win. Joe LMB putting up over 40 points last night. Had a great fourth quarter to pull away in that game to not only beat the defending champs, But going up against Nikola Jokic, it's always him and Jokic going back and forth for the MVP. And I thought Embiid really outplayed him last night. But that'd be a great NBA championship if both those teams could make it. But we'll talk to Kayla Santiago. So sit tight if you want to hear some Sixers talk. We'll talk to Kayla. We'll also talk to her about some Eagles. She does a great job covering both sports for us. So, but... Let's jump into this Eagles team again, because today is clean out day where these players will be down there. I don't know if you'll get much from the media or not, but let's talk about Jason Kelsey for a second. So Jason Kelsey, it was reported yesterday, was announcing his retirement. But then we hear 
today that he says on his podcast that he did not announce his retirement. Now, I still think he's probably just delaying things so that he could make a formal statement. I don't like the way it came out yesterday through the media, but here's what Jason Kelsey had to say. I didn't announce what I was doing on purpose, despite, I guess, what's been leaked to the media. I just don't think you're in a position after a game like that to really make that decision. There's too much emotion in the moment. So as of right now, Jason Kelsey has not retired. And man, I hope. I don't think it's going to happen. But I would hope and pray that somehow he gets the bug to want to play again and comes back because he's still playing at an all-pro level, literally an all-pro level. And there's a lot of questions on the defensive side of the ball, and we could talk about that in a second. But you look at the offensive side of the football, and if Jason Kelsey does in fact retire, how good is that offensive line going to be? What are you doing? If Jason Kelsey retires, which it still looks like that's the way it's headed, but if he retires, you probably have to move Cam Jurgens over to center. We've never seen Cam Jurgens really play center in the NFL as a starter. Played some preseason, looked good a couple years ago in the preseason, but we saw him at guard this year, and he had some ups and downs. There were some games where Cam Jurgens looked good. There were other games like the Tampa Bay Bucks wildcard game where Cam Jurgens looks terrible. So I do think they'll move Jurgens over to center, but there's no doubt about it. Even if Cam Jurgens plays well, he's not Jason Kelsey. There may never have been, nor there may never be. Another Jason Kelsey. He may be the best center we've ever seen, certainly in an Eagles uniform. So, man, I would hope and pray that somehow he changes his mind and decides he wants to come back. But if Kelsey does retire, you move Jurgens over to center. Well, now, who's your right guard? I think they drafted Tyler Steen this year to be your right guard, but do we have faith in him? We haven't seen much of Tyler Steen. He showed some promise at times, but there's no guarantee that your right guard position is locked down next year. So a lot of question marks at that offensive line simply with Jason Kelsey if he retires. And I see Mike Fittery in the chat, and I agree with him 100%, saying Kelsey is a once-in-a-lifetime center. I agree. And it's not only how he plays the game. It's he's calling out the protections. He's the leader of that offensive line. So a lot of question marks along the O-line if Kelsey does, in fact, retire. And we're going to have a long offseason to talk about personnel. Because in addition to the offensive line, there's question marks at wide receiver. Specifically, that wide receiver three position. I thought they needed to upgrade that position last offseason. I was talking about it here on social media last offseason that you couldn't go into the year with Quez Watkins as your wide receiver three. And unfortunately, that came back to haunt this team. They tried to make a move late, bringing in Julio Jones. Hall of Famer, but not the Julio Jones he was before. 
So I think they need to do something at that position. We're going to have questions at the running back position. DeAndre Swift's a free agent. He just finished his four-year rookie contract. This is his opportunity to get paid. And as a running back in this NFL, there's no guarantees of another contract after this. So he's going to try to get as much money as he possibly can. Now, we know the running back market isn't what it used to be. But I'm sure somebody's going to pay him more than what the Philadelphia Eagles are probably willing to pay him. So there's questions also at running back. And then you have questions at the tight end position. Dallas Goddard's very good, but they need to upgrade the backup tight end position. Because as much as I do like Dallas Goddard, he hasn't been able to stay healthy the last two seasons. And when he's not there, there is a massive drop-off. And I would love to see them bring in a tight end so that they could run more 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field and have success with it. Because right now, outside of Dallas Goddard, both of the tight ends that are behind him can only do one thing or the other. You have Jack Stoll, who can run block, but can't do anything in the passing game. You have Grant Calcaterra, who can catch, but can't run block. So I'd like to see them get a second tight end that can be on the field in 12 personnel that is a dual threat like Dallas Goddard. But those are the questions on the offense. You go over to the defensive side of the football, and it is pretty much a total rebuild on defense. An absolute total rebuild. They lack depth on the edge, outside of Reddick and Sweat. BG, is he coming back? He wants to. But do they want him back? I still think BG can play. The problem is he only played 33% of the snaps this year. BG's not going to be able to give you that many reps. So could you bring him back as a depth piece, as a leader, as a guy that can contribute on passing downs? Sure, but you need more depth there. You can't go into this season like you did this past season. With zero depth, that's why Josh Sweat hit a wall. That's why Hassan Reddick hit a wall. There was nobody behind them. And there's all types of questions, man. Is Nolan Smith the guy? So there is so many questions on that side of the ball, and I'm only talking D-line right now. Let's go to the linebacker. Who the hell are your linebackers next year? I think the only two linebackers under contract are going to be N'Kobe Dean and Ben Van Sumeren. All the other guys, and I don't think this will bother anybody because they didn't do anything for us really this year, but Nick Morrow's a free agent. Sean Bradley's a free agent. Zach Cunningham's a free agent. Shaq Leonard's a free agent. So once again, a lot of question marks at linebacker. And I just hope and pray that Howie Roseman learned from his mistakes and doesn't go into this season trying to piecemeal the linebacker position. I think they need to invest some money in that position this year. Same thing with safety. A lot of question marks again. Is Reed Blankenship the guy? Is Sidney Brown going to be healthy enough to contribute as a second-year player toward his ACL in Week 18? Do you have faith in Kevin Byard at this stage of his career? 
I hope he doesn't make the same mistakes again, trying to piecemeal it with guys like Terrell Edmonds and Justin Evans. You have to invest in those two positions. They need to invest in linebacker and safety. And we'll keep talking about all these decisions all offseason. Because believe it or not, free agency is not that far away. That is the one beautiful thing about the NFL. I say one beautiful thing. There's many beautiful things. As upset as I am right now and all you guys are, absolutely love the NFL. And I love that it has become a 365-day sport. Because as soon as the Super Bowl ends, we get ready for free agency. And then when free agency's over, we're ready for the draft. And we start getting ready for training camp. So a lot of decisions to make. And a lot of decisions to make at corner as well. What are they doing with Slay? What are they doing with Bradbury? Bradbury's contract makes it almost impossible to move on from. So we'll talk about all those decisions throughout the offseason. But the big decision right now that looms large in front of this organization is what do they do with Nick Sirianni? Will we be hearing that Jeffrey Lurie has moved on from Nick Sirianni? And the crazy thing is, not unexpected, but the silence right now is deafening. You haven't heard anything. And you don't really expect to hear anything from Jeffrey Lurie. That's not how he usually does business. He's probably going to be very patient, going to take his time, going to meet with Nick Sirianni, going to probably hear, what is your plan to fix what we just saw? And depending on that conversation, just like he did with Doug Peterson, maybe he makes a move. Because back when they fired Doug Peterson, everything that was reported is that Jeffrey Lurie didn't want to fire Doug Peterson. He went into those meetings thinking that Doug Peterson was going to remain the head coach. But he didn't share the same vision that Doug Peterson did. Now, what was that vision? I think Dougie P wanted to hold on to his coordinators. Jeffrey Lurie said, you're going to change coordinators. And when Doug Peterson put his foot or drew a line in the sand, I should, I should say, and said, no, 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 listen, I'm a Super Bowl coach. I'm going to pick my coaching staff. That was the end. So we'll see what happens after these meetings. But I really don't know what they're going to do. I keep going back and forth in my head about what is Jeffrey Lurie going to do? Because when you do look at this epic collapse and you look at the effort the team displayed, for me, that was the most important. It was the effort the team displayed over the last few weeks of the season. I saw players that checked out on their coaching staff. And that's the reason I think there's a real chance they could move on from Sirianni. But the reason I'm on the fence is because then I look at the numbers. And I'm not saying this is right to do, but this may be something Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman do, is they look at the numbers. And they see a guy that's gotten them to the playoffs three years in a row. They see a guy that won 11 games this season. They see a guy who got you to a Super Bowl last season. They look at this offense, and as bad as it's looked to us, and as bad as it's looked to the eye when you watch the games, they may look and say, still top 10 of almost every category. So if they do all that, there's a scenario where you could see Jeffrey Lurie bring in back Nick Sirianni. Not saying I agree with that decision, but I could see them doing that. 
and I know there's a lot of people who keep talking about, well, they have to make a move now because look at the caliber of coaches who are available. I've said that before on this show. I'm going to say it again. I don't see Jeffrey Lurie, even if he moves on from Nick Sirianni, hiring a defensive coach who is a retread. It doesn't follow what Lori and Roseman have done in the past. They don't hire retreads. They like to find the coach that's never been a head coach before. They like to find the coach that nobody else is talking about. And they certainly like to find the offensive-minded coach. Sirianni was an offensive coach. Doug Peterson was an offensive coach. Chip Kelly was an offensive coach. Andy Reid was an offensive coach. So I know everybody's throwing out names like Belichick and Vrabel. I just don't think that is a Jeffrey Lurie-type move. Especially when you have over $200 million invested into your quarterback. They want an offensive coach. They want someone that's going to be able to help Jalen Hurts get back to the MVP caliber we saw last season. I can't imagine they bring in a guy like Vrabel or even Bill Belichick when you are trying to get the best play out of Jalen Hurts. Just doesn't flow with what we've seen in the past from Lurie. But we'll find out more maybe today. The exit interviews will probably tell us a lot. We'll see what people are saying. We'll get some buzz, hopefully, from the beat reporters who are down there. But when we get back, guys, we're going to be joined by Kayla Santiago. I'm going to talk to Kayla a little bit about this Philadelphia Eagles football team, but I also want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the 76ers because that was a big win for the Sixers and Joel Embiid last night against not only the defending champs, but the former MVP, the Joker. So stay tuned, guys. Hit that like button. Hit that share button for me. We'll be right back and hopefully joined by Kayla Santiago. Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut & Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! 
Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday. Watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game. And the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. What's up, everybody, and welcome back in to the Philly Sports Power Hour with Bill Calarulo. Appreciate all the Power Hour crew checking in. Some of you guys spending three hours with me today because I saw you on Birds 365 this morning. Can't get enough of me today, I guess. But now it's going to get really good because we're going to be joined by the one and only Kayla Santiago. Talk a little Eagles, talk a little Sixers. What's going on, Kayla? How are you doing? Uh, you know, a little rough after we all saw the Eagles kind of collapse. A ton of news coming out about Jason Kelsey, not saying he officially retired. But I think the Sixers for now kind of healed my wound just for a little bit. It's just a partial heal, though, after last night's victory. Yeah, you're right. Definitely just a partial heal. But let's talk some positivity. We'll get into the Eagles in a second and a lot to talk about there. But let's keep it positive to start with our Kayla Santiago. Big win for the Sixers over the defending champs. How about that performance from Joel Embiid last night? Oh, did we get Kayla frozen? We got Kayla frozen, I think. Oh, do you got me back now? Now she's back. Now awesome. she's back. Did you hear, <laughs> did you hear me? Yes, yes, I did. I, I consistently looked at the stat line, and I kept seeing nine assists, ten assists. And I'm like, are they sure? Is this completely flopped? And then I was able to catch the second half of the game. No, like he was really passing the ball, getting his teammates involved last night. And he only had seven rebounds. So as much as everybody knows that I love Embiid's game and how much I love that he's a Philadelphia 76er, the one thing that I didn't love was the fact that Jokic was kind of beating him out on the boards. And you could see the second and third chance opportunity that Jokic was able to give the Nuggets versus Embiid wasn't able to give the Sixers. So that's something that I definitely want to see bigger and better as these games go along. And then, of course, once playoff time comes. But I loved it. I mean, it's a battle of the best bigs in the game, a battle of the two top players in the NBA right now. You have to absolutely appreciate greatness. And Joel Embiid said it best. He said, Jokic is the best player in the planet. And I think Joel is just saying that because Joel knows he doesn't have an NBA championship. He doesn't have a finals MVP. He knows where he wants to get. And the guy that he beat last night has that. 
Yeah, he does. He does. And that's always been the knock that we keep talking about with Embiid is can he get out of the second round? Can he get out of the second round? But we've talked about this a lot, whether or not they're missing that third piece. But look, they just beat last night the defending champions. So is the roster good enough? Did they prove it last night that this roster as constructed would be good enough to compete with anybody in the NBA? It's tough because it's still the regular season and you look at a game like the Nuggets and you say, okay, they can beat them in one game, but what happens when it turns into a six and a seven game series? When does talent kind of take over? But I look at this game and I say, okay, and I had conversations with a lot of people last night of saying, well, the Nuggets are just a better team. And I say, I don't really think so. I do think that last year's Sixers team versus this year's Nuggets team could be better, even though the Sixers had James Harden last year. But look at the depth. Look at Pat Bev coming in. Look at Nicholas Batum having blocks down low. You didn't have role guys like that making big plays last year. And then Tobias Harris coming in in key minutes when Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid were both on the bench, and he's letting it up. I said Toby time on Twitter because that's exactly what it was last night. You didn't have that a season ago. There was guys that could not step up when the key guys were off the bench. And seeing Pat Bev get in there and play that defense and harass the players as he does, to see Nicholas Batum come up with big-time blocks, big-time shots, you didn't have those pieces last year. So I do feel confident in this team. I get worried when the series get a little long. And say, for example, if they get out of the second round, they play seven games and all of a sudden have to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, those guys are going to be pretty exhausted. They have to stay healthy. But Right now, I like it, and I get nervous of any team having to trade anything because I know Pascal Siakam's in the air, but Toronto Raptors, they just asked for three first-round picks for the Pacers to have Pascal Siakam. And to me, that's just way too high of an asking price for a player like that in this time of his career. Wow, I didn't see that report. They wanted three first-rounders, and then Siakam's yeah. going to demand a max contract next year, right? Yeah, he's going to have to. And I get it for the Raptors. I mean, he's their star player. He's the guy that they have. But at the same time, it's okay for the Sixers. They have really good role guys that could go to the Raptors and elevate that team. And to me, he's just not worth it. And I love Siakam, but I think his peak and when he was at his best was the Kawhi season and right after the Kawhi season. You don't give up that much for a guy like that right now if you're the Philadelphia 76ers. We got a question from... Uh slagger here saying Sixers got out rebounded 46 32 how the hell did they win so how did they overcome losing <laughs> on the board last night that's a fantastic point because replay after replay you saw MB getting boxed out down low you saw all these guys getting boxed out down low but I think it really was that crucial fourth quarter that's when Joel B turned it on and that's what you want to see from your best player an MVP caliber player you want to see him turn it on and in the first quarter on the other side, Jokic was turning the ball over. And I don't want to pinpoint, you know, bad things about Nikola Jokic because, listen, I think Joel Embiid's a fantastic player as well, and he can definitely rebound it better. But in the fourth quarter, I think that's when the biggest switch mattered. Late in the fourth, Nikola Jokic, who was turning the ball over, five to nothing in the fourth quarter in terms of turnovers the Nuggets had against the Sixers. So when you look at that, you say, okay, that kind of tells the story as well. But I do agree with the rebounding performance. You're not going to win a series like that if you're going to be in the playoffs. So that's something they need to brush up, especially Joel Embiid. I mean, he's the biggest guy on the court. He's got to out-rebound other guys. Let's talk about Pat Bev for a second because he's been on a tear for this team, really helping contribute, giving them that added depth. You think that's sustainable? Is this who Pat Bev is, or is he playing a lot better than what we should expect from him going forward? 
This is who Pat Bev is, everybody. And I can never stand Pat Bev on any other team because every time you would play him, you're like, this guy will not stop. He just keeps going and you can't get past him. And he's not the best guard in the NBA, but he's pesty. To another team, you could say that he's an annoying guard because he's just all over defensively all the time. And then he can go down and make plays and make some shots. He is exactly what Philadelphia embodies. Going out there, putting it all on the line, grinding it out, going after the loose balls. And once again, I repeatedly say this, the Sixers, when it came to the time it mattered, they don't have a guy like that. Ben Simmons is not diving for the loose ball. James Harden's not diving for the loose ball. Pat Bev, he's coming off your bench and he will do stuff like that. So to have him right behind Tyrese Maxey, I absolutely love it. Clearly Tyrese Maxey's offensive game at this point in his career is a lot better than Pat Bev, but Pat Bev is the guy that you need off your bench. And I've said this before, in the point guard position off the bench, the last time I felt confident about a guard coming off the bench was Lou Williams when he backed up Drew Holiday. Lou Williams. I liked Lou Williams. I, liked I did more. too. He was my favorite for a really long time after he left the Sixers too. Yeah, I liked Lou Williams. So Nick Nurse, head coach of the 76ers. Is he going to be the only head coach named Nick in Philadelphia by this time next week? <sighs> It's tough. You know, I'm surprised we haven't seen more reports already about, you know, them letting people go. But I understand there's a whole process, interview process. Teams are still in the playoffs right now. You know, we talked about this a lot on the postgame show, and I understand what the Eagles do. I understand that Nick Sirianni has been able to make the playoffs. He's made it to a Super Bowl. But this has been one of the worst collapses in history. Since the last time we can think in the NFL, it was the Steelers when they had that start undefeated season, and then the Patriots a few years ago also when they lost in the playoffs. So you look at that, it's only three big teams that have lost in the first round of the playoffs. And not only that, the Eagles went 1-6, and six and they looked horrible. They didn't even look like they could compete. At least those other two teams, they competed in the games. The Eagles got blown out. It looked like they got blown out against the Cardinals. They got blown out against the Giants, and then they got blown out against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, that has to start with your head coach, and I think we already know that they're not going to make any moves in the front office. To me, that's just kind of obvious. So with the coaching talent that's out there right now, I think the Eagles would really be missing their mark if they don't say goodbye to Nick Sirianni and go after one of the coaches that's out there right now. Because in my opinion, the first time in a really long time, there's so many talented head coaches out there. And I know that this organization is scared from the Chip Kelly era. I get it. But you have to bring somebody in that has experience if you want this team to grow. And you know what's funny, Kayla? You and I talk Sixers every Wednesday, and usually I get in the chat, enough Sixers talk, time for the Eagles. And man, how the tides have turned, because all of the chat right now is, put the Eagles on the back burner. We've moved on from football. Let's talk Sixers. Loving the Sixers talk. So things have changed, and I promise you guys, Kayla's going to be coming on. We're going to be talking a lot of 76ers, but we're going to keep it with the Eagles just for a little bit, because today they do clean out their lockers. There is a lot of chatter. Does Nick Sirianni come back as head coach? Now, I will say, you mentioned the available coaches and the caliber of coaches. But you talked about Jeffrey Lurie and, and Howie Roseman. Their M.O. isn't really to bring in defensive coaches or retreads. And a lot of the big names out there right now with Bill Belichick, defensive coach, retread, Mike Vrabel, Defensive coach, retread. I've even seen people talking about Pete Carroll, which I don't think would ever happen. But do you think there's any chance, not what you would want to happen, but is there any chance that Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman 
change what they've always done and say, you know what, we're going to flip the script here. We're going to bring in a defensive coach who's been a retread. I don't even think it needs to be a defensive coach because I think there's a guy like Eric Bieniemy out there who has more offensive mind that they could bring in, but does have experience and has been alongside big time head coaches as well. Uh, this is the thing. I don't think that they're going to because that's their MO. What I do think they should do and what I think they might do is they just got completely embarrassed. If you're Jeffrey Lurie right now, people are calling for your job. People are calling for your job to have a change in your seat. How are you going to answer that? Because if they don't bring in an experienced head coach, this is a completely rebuild team. Once again, we were talking about it on the postgame show. There are so many guys that are probably going to walk that are free agents. DeAndre Swift. Why would DeAndre Swift want to come back to a team if they're just going to bring back the same guys or if they're going to bring back a coach that doesn't have a lot of experience? He didn't get the ball at all, and he should have in crucial situations. But if they bring in a good coach, an experienced coach, maybe he will say, Boston Scott, most likely going to walk. You look at the defensive side of the ball as well, and not saying these guys are fantastic, but Nicholas Morrow and Zach Cunningham are also free agents. So once again, at the linebacker position, you are completely starting brand new. And you look just kind of around at other guys as well, wanting to be on this team and play for this team. I think that they have to at this point. I feel like it's a situation where their hands are tied because you're not going to get everybody that you need in the draft. You're going to still be young on the defensive side of the ball, especially once you get past that defensive line. But guess who you still got? You still got the guy on their center and Jalen Hurts. And Jalen Hurts needs to grow. And if you bring in a new coaching staff, you are essentially saying, oh, well, it's rebuild time. How do you rebuild when you have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Hurts? How do you do that? You need to bring in a guy. I'm not saying Bill Belichick is the answer. I don't think that he would work in Philadelphia because of Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie. But there's guys out there that have experience that have been in the big moments that the Philadelphia Eagles could bring in and say, hey, he's our new guy. Do I think that they're going to do it? No. But if they move on from Nick Sirianni, and what right mind do they have and say, oh, we're just going to bring in another guy that doesn't have really much experience either. So I think they have to do it and their hands are tied. Do I think that they're going to? I don't really think so. I mean, historically looking, they haven't. I just hosted Birds 365 with John McMullen before this show. And he said, which I think would make people lose their absolute minds, is don't be surprised if not only does Sirianni come back, but that Brian Johnson comes back. And I think if they run it back with the same offensive coaching staff, you're going to see a lot of people freaking the hell out as they should. Because look, I know numbers can be skewed any way you want to skew them. And you look at these offensive numbers and you look at the production over the course of the season and you could convince yourself, oh, they were still a top 10 offense. Mm -hmm. But when you actually watch the games, especially what we just saw against the Tampa Bay Bucks. And what we saw in week 18 against the New York Giants, two teams that you knew with Wink Martindale and Todd Bowles were going to blitz the hell out of Jalen Hurts. And the fact that they had zero answers for the blitz. Are you in my boat here? If they bring back Brian Johnson as your offensive coordinator, are you going to lose your mind? Oh, I'm going to lose my mind. There's no way in their right mind. They have to be absolutely crazy to think to bring Brian Johnson back. And, and to me, the only way they bring Nick Sirianni back is they bring in a very experienced offensive coordinator that can call plays. What comes to my mind immediately is Frank Reich. I don't think the Eagles are going to do that, though, because I think that he's going to have too much conversation about how we want to do this, how we want to do that. And we already know that Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie don't like demanding coaches. But 
The only way Nick Sirianni, to me, in my opinion, deserves to stay is if they bring in a guy that can actually come in, call plays, and has a good offensive mind. Brian Johnson, as much as I've liked him in other areas with the Eagles, he's just not an offensive coordinator. He's an offensive coordinator on a team, maybe like the Panthers, maybe like the Giants, even maybe the Cardinals, a team that is not supposed to win games right now at this point in the NFL. The Eagles are supposed to win games. And if I'm Jalen Hurts, I'm going right to Howie Roseman and saying, give me a new offensive coordinator right now. Jalen did not have a good year, especially a good second half of the year at all. A lot of it had to do with the play calling. He looked confused out there. He looked like he didn't really know what was going on. There was so much discommunication. And how do you do that to a guy like Jalen Hurts, who back-to-back years was in the running for MVP? Early in the season, of course, this year, he was in the talks for MVP. And then, you know, they had the colossal failure at the end of the season. And he brought the team to the Super Bowl. Everybody in the city loves him. You can clearly tell he has a lot of talent. But listen, the talent is not going to work if you bring in a guy back like Brian Johnson. So to me, I will lose my mind. And it's not just because and I'm never calling for a guy's job. I don't necessarily want the guy to lose his job. You know, it pays the bills. It pays for the family. I understand that. But at the same time, you're not only hurting the coaching staff, you're hurting guys that deserve next year offensively to have a good year. And a Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, and A.J. Brown. Yeah, I mean, you look at the offense in 2022, and pretty much all of the offensive players had career years. You know, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, the offensive line, Miles Sanders, Jalen Hurts. And then you look at 2023, and I know A.J. Brown put up some big numbers and Smith put up some big numbers, but it seemed as if every single player on the offensive side of the football took a step back. And... Some people could tell, well, they couldn't expect that. I look at that as that's on the coaching stand. Mm -hmm. If every offensive player has taken a step back, who else can you blame other than Nick Sirianni, Brian Johnson, and all of the offensive position coaches? There's nobody else to blame. And I I do put blame on Jalen Hurts a little bit because I feel like there's been a lot of times where he scrambled out of the pocket For example, that safety that we saw Monday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There's no reason that he shouldn't have felt that pressure coming and threw the ball out way sooner. But no, he decides to hold on to it and then they get the safety. So, you know, decision making from Jalen Hurts wasn't fantastic at all this year as well. But what do you do when consistently you have an empty backfield and you say, okay, well, Jalen, either heave it up for 25 yards when you only need two on a third down or run the ball. But by the way, we have a really good running back in DeAndre Swift, and behind him is Kenny Gainwell. They're not going to help you whatsoever because we're not going to utilize the run game whatsoever, and we're just going to have an empty backfield. And even if we do have a running back, we're not going to utilize him at all. There's decision-making, I think, comes from Jalen Hurts because of what's being talked about in his ear, what's being talked about at practice. And you can see it in the play design because consistently – They need two yards, and they heave it downfield. Oh, they need 14 yards and a third down? Let's throw a six-yard slant right at a guy where a defender is going to be right behind him. That's coaching right there. And, yes, once again, Jalen Hurts, I do think that he gets some of the blame, but how this offense was designed this year, what else do you expect him to do? I mean, there was just so many instances where you say, okay, well, consistently it's the same play, it's the same stuff week after week. That has to be coaching to me. Yeah, and I'll one-up you here. Third and two, let's come out in an empty backfield so the Mm -hmm. defense doesn't even have to worry about the run because we don't have any damn running backs behind Jalen Hurts. It's just been, as Seth Joyner likes to say, coaching malfeasance is what I've seen this year 
from the offensive coaching staff. And then, well, let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball for a second because obviously Matt Patricia didn't do a great job as defensive coordinator. Surprisingly, when they made the move from Sean Desai to Matt Patricia, a lot of people said, well, it can't get much worse. Well, somehow it did get much worse. And who do you put a majority of the blame on when we look at the defensive side of the football? Was it the coaching staff? Was it Sean Desai and Matt Patricia? Or was it Howie Roseman and the roster that he built on the defensive side of the ball? All I'm going to say is justice for Sean Desai at this point, because this dude took all the heat. He took all the blame. I actually think early in the season, and I feel like we said it a lot on the halftime show, he was really making decent adjustments, especially when it was against you know, the really good teams. You look at that Chiefs games, Sean Desai made a really good adjustment on the defensive side of the ball. And then you bring in Matt Patricia, the defense gets so much worse. Now, I do think coming in that there are certain things that the defenders do, like not getting down to tackle. Why is the coach on their ear doing practice? You're going to get benched if you don't do this. There's no pressure. It feels like they're just trying to coddle them and be nice to them and say, well, you know, it's okay. You'll get them next time. No, this is the National Football League. Get down, get low, tackle, and make a damn play. They haven't been able to do that all this year. Part of that I do think is coaching. But I put the blame on Howie Roseman, and I don't think people are blaming him enough. You look at the linebacking core, and we have talked about it time after time after time again. It is terrible. You get past that defensive line, and it's a free-for-all. Not only that, you're putting a new defensive coordinator in a position and Sean Desai where you have Darius Slay and you have James Bradbury, and then the rest of the guys in your secondary will go have fun. Go figure it out, Sean Desai and your first year as a defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles, and then essentially loses his job halfway through the season. It's just crazy to me. And, you know, part of me does feel bad for the players in this instance, besides the fact that they can't tackle, they don't put the effort into tackle, because Darius Slay said it as well. He said, listen, it's really hard to change defensive coordinators in the middle of the season. Matt Patricia's way of calling plays and making plays is a lot different than Sean Desai. To me, that's not a call from Nick Sirianni. That's a call from Howie Roseman. So in my honest opinion, Howie Roseman gets all the blame because not only did he construct a terrible defense, he made that call to switch the defensive coordinator midseason. And Matt Patricia did an even worse job than Sean Desai, in my opinion. So to me, the majority of the blame goes to Howie Roseman. I'm not dismantling the non-tackling and everything that the Eagles could not do, especially last week. I mean, that's just an effort thing. But all around, I mean, the defense was absolutely atrocious. And honestly, it's not going to get any better next year because they're going to lose some people and they're going to need to get a lot of guys back. Really a total rebuild on the defensive side of the football outside of your D-tackle position, which should still be strong. You hope Jalen Carter takes another step forward. Hopefully Jordan Davis is the guy we hope he is. But I know some people are down on him after this season, but. Yeah, and then I, I've talked about it before. Hassan Reddick wanted a new deal before this season started. He's now entering the final year of the deal he wasn't even happy with last year. So I think you're going to have to figure something out with him as well. But the one thing that I think could save Nick Sirianni's job is you just mentioned that you think it was Howie Roseman who made the decision to change defensive coordinators in the middle of the season. And I agree with you. I don't think that came from Sirianni. I truly believe it came from the higher-ups, as Hassan Reddick said it did, the higher-ups. Do you think that would be enough to save Sirianni if it was, in fact, Howie Roseman who said, we're changing defensive coordinators, and that was the epic collapse? And I think some people, some players in that locker room, 
who probably had connections to Sean Desai, didn't like that. A lot of players in that locker room who maybe thought there were more problems on the offensive side of the football didn't like that Sean Desai was made the scapegoat. So I think if it was Howie Roseman that did it, would it be right then to blame Nick Sirianni for this epic collapse and not Howie Roseman? Well, there was also a collapse on the offensive side of the ball, and that's what I look at more when I look at Nick Sirianni because he's an offensive-minded coach. Because I look at that and I say, okay, well, you look at the defense. Clearly, the defense is not going to be great. I mean, you have Sean Desai coming in, a new defensive coordinator, then you switch midseason. But also just the players that they have on the defensive side of the ball, they're super young, a lot of injuries. So to me, the defense is exactly what I expected. I didn't expect them not to make tackles and not put effort out there. I didn't expect James Bradbury to be as bad as he was this year. But at the same time, I didn't expect them, besides the defensive line, to be a fantastic defense. I expected the offense to be very, very good. And they had everything in the making to be very, very good. And yes, part of that blame does go on Brian Johnson. But overall, a lot of that blame to me goes on Nick Sirianni. I get you didn't have A.J. Brown in this game. Julio Jones goes down against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't care. You still have Jalen Hurts. You still have DeAndre Swift. But by the way, they still did not utilize for whatever reason. You got Devontae Smith, who played fantastic and the only player who looked like he actually cared on the field on Monday night. You have Dallas Goddard. You still have a very good offensive core. And you have Jalen Hurts. That, to me, is what I look at and say, if you're going to blame Nick Sirianni, that's a Nick Sirianni call. That's not a Howie Roseman call. And also, I think if the Eagles will say, well, Howie Rosa made the decision to make the different change at defensive coordinator, then Howie's going to have to take the blame because they're going to want answers, and Howie Roseman's not going to do that. Great point, Kayla, because you look at that offense, and as angry as I've been at Howie Roseman for the personnel on defense, I still think they had enough personnel on offense. I'd like to see them upgrade their wide receiver three and their backup tight end, and they'll have to make some decisions if Jason Kelsey does, in fact, retire. But you're right, this year, the fact that that offense wasn't able to do things, especially the last few weeks of the season, is on Nick Sirianni. So I think I know what your answer is going to be. You've been kind of hinting at it. So if it was up to you, if you're Jeffrey Lurie and you have to make the decision this week, you're moving on from Sirianni. 100%. And, you know, it's it's tough because I look at Nick Sirianni and I say, okay, this is the exact same thing that happened with Doug Peterson. But I feel like at least Doug Peterson – in the playoffs was able to compete. Nick Sirianni this year, I mean, you look at the last stretch of games, they didn't even look like they wanted to be out there. They didn't even compete. They looked like a team that didn't even deserve to be in the playoffs. They looked like a team that won one game of the season, and everybody forgets the 10-1 start because of how they finished off the year. And it's tough to see. And, you know, I like Nick Sirianni as the hype man and how he gets excited about his players. But when it comes to coaching, when it comes to experience, when you have a guy like Jalen Hurts, who clearly the Eagles want to invest in, as the franchise QB, you need a more experienced coach in there, and Nick Sirianni just isn't the guy. Yeah, my my concern, too, and I said this yesterday on the show, is what are we going to hear over the next few days? Because Derek Gunn hinted at it on the postgame show here on Jacob Sports. Seth did as well. That we're going to start hearing some things that maybe there's not a connection between our head coach or maybe and our players, or maybe there is something off between Jalen Hurts and people. I don't know what it is, and they wouldn't say it. Degon wouldn't reveal it on the air. But I'm curious as to what, in fact, is going on with that locker room, because if that is fractured, and when they do these exit interviews and Jeffrey Lurie listens to some of his veteran players, if they say Sirianni's lost the locker room, 
I don't see how you bring the guy back at all because now you not only have the offensive woes that we've talked about, but if he did, in fact, lose the locker room too, you got to make a move. And I think he did, in my opinion, just by the way they played out there on the field because, listen, I get that they were pretty fractured in terms of not having A.J. Brown, Julio Jones getting hurt, the defensive players you know, getting hurt throughout the game, Darius Slay getting carted off. But when you have players out there not even – trying to tackle when you have players out there just completely diminished in terms of their body language to me those are players who don't want to play for a coach to me it's not having a coach believe in their guys and say let's go let's go out there and do this no matter the adversity we face to me that looks like players that just want the season to end and I said it on the post game show and I'll say it again I think half those guys booked a vacation for the following week already probably besides Devontae Smith because it was really, really hard to watch. And it's not even the fact that they lost and how badly they lost. They just looked like they didn't want to be out there. And to me, that's all the signs of these players not wanting to play for this coach anymore. And I've never seen anything like that before. I've seen mm -hmm. players check out on their coaching staff when the season's over, when they're not making the playoffs, when there's not a potential wild card matchup where your favorite. And we saw this team check out in week 18 against the Giants, and then we kept hearing all week, and I got sucked into, well, it's a new season. Playoffs are a new season. Now we're going to start to play. And they looked like they checked out in that game too, and I've never seen anything like that. So I'm in your boat, Kayla. I think they're going to have to move on from Sirianni, which is an absolute shock to me because if you follow my show or you hear anything I say, <laughs> to start the season, I was the biggest Sirianni fan going. So I have to admit, that I was dead wrong because I thought this was a guy who built such a strong culture. That's what I thought he was so good at was that he had all these guys united and that they could handle adversity. And we learned really quickly that the moment they faced real adversity, they crumbled, absolutely yeah. crumbled. It's really easy for Nick Sirianni to be the guy like that when everything is going good and when they go to the Super Bowl and they're winning games and they start off 10-1. and one. You really see the true colors of a coach when you look at the hard times. And it even it's funny, real quick, even for the high school level, I talk to you know a lot of coaches that we cover down here on the Eastern Shore, and I say, oh, well, it's a new head coach, but they've got a really good team. And the conversation they have with me is, well, let's see who he is in two years. If there's adversity, if there are times where their star players are kind of butting heads, guess what? It happens in the NFL too. It happens on every single level in football. You look at that and you say, okay, well, Nick Sirianni was really faced with adversity and he just couldn't answer. And to me, with a team that you're going to bring back next year that constructed on paper, it's probably going to look worse than the team that you had this year going in to this season. You got to bring in a new guy because Nick Sirianni clearly showed that he just can't break through adversity. And that's tough to see, but I hope Nick Sirianni does start off somewhere else in the NFL, just not with Philadelphia. And so we'll find out. I don't think you're going to find out anything today. I think Jeffrey Lurie is patient with these things. I think he's going to drag this out. He'll probably meet with some people. Then I'll have his meeting with Sirianni. But stay tuned. We'll see how it all goes. But Kayla, appreciate you. Where can everybody find you, by the way, Kayla? Because I know everyone enjoys when you come on the show on Wednesdays. But where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. On Twitter, um, Kayla underscore Santiago one. You always see me tweeting about the local coverage that I do. Of course, Sixers, Eagles, Flyers, Phils, everything in between. Some Union too as well. And then on TikTok, Kayla Santiago 61. That's where I love to kind of post and interact with a lot of people. I'll go live sometimes during Sixers games and kind of post my thoughts after the game. And 
As you guys know, I love my basketball. It's truly Sixers time right now. I don't know if they're going to break my heart just like the Philadelphia Eagles did, but I'll definitely be talking a lot of Philadelphia 76ers and as the season goes along. So that's where you can find me. I'm excited to keep creating and excited to, you know, be on this show and talk some Sixers. And hopefully week after week, it just gets better and better for one Philadelphia team. Awesome. Well, we appreciate having you, Kayla. We'll see you next week. Have a good rest of your week. Thank you. Have a good one. Kayla Santiago always does a great job. Man. She knows her basketball. Does a great job with the Eagles, but she always blows me away with how good she is with her Sixers coverage. So we'll be bringing her on more. I see you guys in the chat wanting more Sixers talk because it's going to be a long offseason for the Philadelphia Eagles. So at least we have some other things that we can look forward to. So we got the 76ers and we got our Philadelphia Flyers, baby. You guys know I love my fly guys, and the Philadelphia Flyers now sit in second place in the Metropolitan Division after winning four straight games. And we've talked before about how this Sixers team is fun to watch. This Flyers team is fun to watch. They play good hockey. They're well coached by John Tortorella. They're unbelievable on the penalty kill. And not just at killing penalties, but scoring goals in the top of the league in shorthanded goals. So I'm going to start trying to get some people on who can talk some flyers as well. So if you guys are hockey fans, we're going to get some guests on to talk some fly guys because, look, there's going to be a lot to talk about with the Philadelphia Eagles. There's going to be a lot of decisions that need to get made over the next few months, and we'll get ready for free agency and the draft. But it's a long offseason, so we're going to talk all Philadelphia sports. We'll get some Sixers going. We'll get some Flyers going. Pitchers and catchers soon for our fighting fills as well. So we will talk about all of that. But before we end the show, just because I wanted to not everyone to think that the Eagles are the only people with problems, let's look around the NFC East for a second because the Dallas Cowboys have some tough decisions. What are the Dallas Cowboys going to do right now? Because they have Dak Prescott. In the final year of his contract, he brings with him a $62 million cap hit. $62 million this season. Last year of his deal. You know the Dallas Cowboys. If they had any success in the playoffs this year, they would have extended Dak. He would be your franchise quarterback. You'd lower that cap hit for next year to allow you to bring in other talent to continue to keep some of your current players. What the hell do the Dallas Cowboys do now? $61.9 million cap hit. That would be his dead cap hit if they tried to move on. So it's a $59.4 million cap hit if they keep him, which I think they have to. And they also have to make a decision, is Mike McCarthy the guy? So I know things are bad right now for the Philadelphia Eagles. Trust me. I feel bad, too. But things aren't necessarily great for these Cowboys either. Got to make a decision on their quarterback. Got to make a decision on their head coach. I don't know what they do. I don't think they move on from Prescott. I don't see how you move on from Prescott, who you moving to. But they got to make a decision now that they're going to have to commit to him long term because you can't go into this season with a $59 million cap hit. You just can't do it. So curious what you guys think in the chat. Do they keep Prescott? Do they keep McCarthy? 
And I see Barbara Carroll saying, Bill, it's only one year. Hurts is five more years. I'm still fine with Hurts. I'm still riding with Hurts. I'm not making excuses for him. He didn't play well this year. He made some really bad mistakes. The safety against the Bucs was a rookie mistake. The turnovers were bad. But I don't think a guy can just forget how to play. I don't think a quarterback can go from what we saw in 2022 to what we now think of Jalen Hurts, or should I say some of us think of Jalen Hurts. I still think Hurts can be that guy. I still have confidence in Jalen Hurts. And look, if you if you want to get rid of Nick Sirianni and you want to get rid of Brian Johnson, well, how can you also blame Jalen Hurts at the same time? I, I think Jalen Hurts needs to play better. But if we really think it was the coaches and we really think the offensive coaching staff failed our offense this year, which I do, then I think you need to run it back with Hurts and have faith that he can grow into the guy. Look what he did with Shane Steichen as his play caller. And it wasn't only Jalen Hurts that took a step back this year. Everybody on that offense took a step back this year. To me, that's coaching. That is coaching. So, guys, like we end every Philly Sports Power Hour with a little Today in Sports History. January 17th, 1942. We got a birthday. The one and only Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, was born January 17th, 1942. Going to float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Today is Muhammad Ali's birthday. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2016. But one of the greatest, not only greatest boxers of all time, but greatest showmen of all time. He knew how to promote a fight, man. He knew how to people get people riled up and excited for some of his fights. So Muhammad Ali was born today, January 17th, 1942. But guys, appreciate all of you. Make sure you hit that like button for me. Hit that share button. We'll be back here tomorrow at 10 o'clock on the Philly Sports Power Hour. And we'll have our Thursdays with Farzi. Farzi just texted me. He's good to go for tomorrow. So Mark Farzetta will be joining the show tomorrow. Talk to him a little bit about these Eagles. And make sure you're following me on all your social platforms. I'm posting daily Eagles content everywhere. So give me a like, give me a follow, and hopefully I'll see all you guys tomorrow right here on the Power Hour at 10 a.m. And as always, guys, go Birds. Go for the polls and the pools. Go for the ooze. And the Oz. Go for the bubbles. And the bubbly. Go for the story. And the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com.